the reason why for me in particular, black art is so significant is because it was always from the beginning, a way in which to exhibit our humanity. That our music, our song, our dance, our visual art, our literature, our words, our oratory, all were a way in the face of so much that was created to disallow us to have humanity and rights, that the arts are the way in which those have been exhibited and how we can look back and understand these experiences come through our artists. Hey, everybody, and welcome to this moment. The transatlantic cable communication between Sweden and the United States, Stockholm and New York, Södermalm and Harlem, between two friends, Chef Marcus Samuelson and myself, artist Jason Diakite. And we created this podcast kind of as a link between us and as an essential valve in these pivotal moments that we're going through in this most challenging time that is 2020. And one of the big questions that Marcus and I have circled back to and keep circling back to so often is how is all of this affecting uh, the creators of culture and culture at large? So it is an immense honor to have with us today a beacon of or a captain of the arts, avid lecturer, writer, activist, and most of all, the director and chief curator of the Studio Museum in Harlem, Thelma Golden. Welcome. Hello. Hello. So good to be here with you both. How are you, Thelma? I'm good. I'm really, really, really good. You know, given where we are and, you know, what this world is now, I am just full of gratitude for the things that are most important to us all, right? Life, health, safety, security, um, but acknowledging that that isn't the situation for many. So holding that um, deeply as I walk through the world during this very complicated moment. Jason, one thing that is different now Mm -hmm. in Harlem on 125th Street is where Studio Museum is, Mm -hmm. that building is now taken down because Thelma is rebuilding a brand new Studio Museum. So Thelma, where are we in that process? Yeah. So where we are right now is that... The Studio Museum, which has lived on 125th Street for over 35 years, 51-year-old museum, Um, the building, 144 West 125th Street, has been demolished over the last eight months. And in August, the final floor came down. And now there is a hole where that building stood for over 100 years. So our museum building was built as a bank in 1914. We bought it in 79 moved into it in 1981, and six years ago embarked on perhaps the most transformative project for the museum since we were founded in 68, which is built Mm -hmm. a new building designed by the incredible architect, Sir David Ajay, um, and his firm, Ajay Associates, along with Cooper Robertson. And seeing the building come down, like physically be demolished, Mm -hmm. was an incredibly emotional Uh, moment Mm. for me, but very particularly over the months of June, July, August, it seemed highly symbolic of what I think we are all feeling about the world, right? Mm. Things Mm. crashing in on themselves, being Mm -hmm. broken up, but also 
right? This, this spirit of recreation. So in that space, our new museum will rise. And in a few years, we will open the doors on a new building. But at this very moment, something that is, hap- is happening that hasn't happened in 100 years, which is that you can stand on 125th Street and look straight through to 124th Street and see this big void where the museum lived and loved the Harlem community for many years. That's incredible. And what a beautiful metaphor for, just like you said, the times that we are going through going through the collapse of so much that we have known and taken for granted, but also the glimmer of hope of what is to come, you know. Jason, what do you think your father, you know, Jason's father, obviously a huge Holomite, and the day that, one of the days when we demonstrated, uh, we always start at the, in front of the government building on 125th Street. Mm-hmm. Adam Clay and and I, we were, we were, I was staring at the building as it was come down. I was as it was coming down. It was the same day actually when I went up to see where um, Jason's father had been held by gunpoint to by the police thirty years before that, and the studio museum's building was coming down. And I was staring onto One Twenty Fourth Street actually. Hmm. Jason, what do you think uh, your father uh, would have said? Would have this moment in Harlem right now, what's his commentary on all this? I think he would be elated to hear what you just said, Thelma, that there is, I mean, when, from when he was born in 1940 until when he left in 1969. Well, I think what, during those years, I think he saw a thriving Harlem, but at the same time, and he would come back to visit his parents, his brothers and sisters and and cousins. And we'd go back every summer. And I think especially during the 70s and 80s, I think he saw the the just very visible decline and, and kind of uh, dis- destruction of a lot of what he knew. And to see it now, you know, in kind of starting to bloom again and even though it's Corona might have thrown a monkey wrench in a lot of the plans that have been going on. You know, that's one of the questions I wanted to ask you, Thelma. Um, can, is it too early to speak of, or can one speak of a, a kind of a, rena- a, a renaissance, a re-renaissance in Harlem? I don't think it's too early to speak about it because actually 2020 is the year we mm. imagine we were going to celebrate the centennial of the Harlem Renaissance. Right. You know, scholars yeah. date the Renaissance some a little earlier than uh, 1920, some a little later, but 2020 kind of puts us at a moment where the original Harlem Renaissance was in full bloom. Mm. So I don't think it's too early to imagine another Renaissance. But I think it is in this moment, what we have to acknowledge is Harlem as a community that has always been a space of reinvention. So that if we look at Harlem through the decades of the last century and into the second decade of the new century, we know a community that has had moments of recovery, moments of restoration, but always filled with a kind of reimagination and reinvention. So I do think we can begin to think, right? Like so much of the moment starting with the pandemic and then moving into the moment of the racial revolution, right? March, April, May, Harlem was in a state where we had to think about rescue, right? And that's the space that Marcus moved into immediately, right? The community 
was hurting. We were feeling the effects, not just the immediate effects of the pandemic and the racial revolution, but the generational effects. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Thelma, can I ask you about, um, you know, one of the luxuries that I have as an immigrant coming to this incredible community is I'm surrounded, as Jason knows, by incredible aunties and uncles. So when I look at and think about Black excellence or Harlem's excellence, it's around me. I see it with Dapper Dan. I can speak to him. I see it with Lana Turner that the other day taught me about Finnish Harlem. There was a Finnish Harlem, Jason. We know about Spanish Harlem, Italian Harlem, but a Finnish Harlem. So every time, so when I create my books and when I create the restaurant, it's with that excellence in mind, right? I'm creating these books for Lana, Tap, and also for Thelma, right? Thelma, your institution is part of almost like a cultural role that starts with Black, uh, National Black Theater, uh, Apollo, the Studio Museum, 10 blocks up, you have Schomburg. So Harlem is situated around culture. All of these institutions are going to hurt extremely, it's going to be very difficult because of corona. And I just hope and pray that all of them will survive and, and get stronger because we need them as, as creators. How do you think institutions navigate present and post-corona? Yeah. Black institutions. Well, I think that um, Black-led institutions in Harlem and throughout New York City um, have navigated this moment well. And part of that, I believe, is because we are such mission-driven institutions, right? Our, our mandates are about art and culture, but about service. We are, you know, in the community and of the community. And as cultural institutions, we see ourselves as cultural anchors, not, dis- not distanced from our community, but a part of it. So in that regard, Black cultural institutions all met this moment. in very real ways. But the moment also brought out how deeply undercapitalized so many Black institutions are and have been. You know, in the last two years, the National Black Theater, Dance Theater of Harlem, and the Studio Museum all celebrated our 50th anniversaries. You know, we are institutions that have been in the community for decades. The Apollo and the Schomburg are both almost 90. So we, these are anchors, deeply, deeply rooted. And so 
in looking at this moment, what we understood was the economic challenges were real. But what I saw was a great sense of community, a great sense of the ability to work together, to continue to serve our community, but also to strategize in how this moment has allowed us all to see what we need to create for the future. You know, Harlem is a community that has always been rich, and that richness comes from our cultural currency. It's a community defined by culture. And the cultural institutions are the stewards of that culture. So we understand how invaluable they are. But this moment has created a necessity to understand what that value is and what it needs to be supported for a future. And then we we can really talk about a a physical architectural uh, uh, renaissance in a sense, because MBT is getting a new building, right? National Black Theater is being built up from the ground up and the Apollo also, if That's I'm not right. mistaken. That's right. The Apollo as well. Harlem School for the Arts is in the midst of an expansion mm. project adding on to their uh, historic mm. building. The Schomburg just had a renovation of their facade, creating a new, beautiful lobby. There's so much going on in our cultural institutions in this kind of physical rebuilding. But the physical rebuilding is really just a reflection of what has long been the deep building in the community from not the physical place, but one that is intellectual, aesthetic, and also in many ways spiritual. And I mean, I think of Harlem's position in the city of being this source of all this magnificent culture and this inspiration that has gladly been consumed by people who don't live there, but come in to consume it. But throughout history, and I guess even today, we're seeing a discrepancy in the feelings of community that people from other parts of the city feel with Harlem, the place where they would gladly go to listen to music or eat food or uh, enjoy a show or whatever it may be, look at art, Um, but in Harlem's times of need, I understand through history and especially speaking to my father that, um, that there was, it wasn't, that love wasn't a two way street, basically. Mm -hmm. No, there are many people who've worked hard to create, um, what, uh, what allows Harlem to be a community that is economically viable and allows Mm. for the community to benefit from all that it gives to the city. And that work has been hard work. It's been work that's gone on for decades. It's work that a whole generation before Marcus or I did in real ways. And I think that what we see in the way that Marcus has contributed to the neighborhood is a continuation of that idea of creating opportunity for those in Harlem, but those who visit Harlem of allowing this community to open itself, not just to the city, to the world. And certainly mm. that is what we're missing in a New York that is locked down in some ways, right? Mm. That, that the, mm. what we look forward to is, again, when we can all open the doors of our cultural institutions, you know, our restaurants, our clubs, you know, and begin again to, to gather and have the kind of communion that comes in the space of art and culture and food that allows us to see each other right, in nuanced and profound ways. I want to ask both of you guys, because both your fathers particularly are are brilliant, were brilliant, but they were also born into, they were not allowed to vote the first elections, right? Mm. 
I mean, these are brilliant professionals, brilliant. I know your father, Jason, um, is highly political and part of the movement. We have an election coming up. Um, how do you see, is it more important to vote locally? Should we vote in the, in the big uh, president election? What's, what's the most important thing, Dalma and Jason, you see here now in terms of the vote? How, how do we see the vote in terms of uh, black vote, Harlemite, and for nationwide? What's the most important thing? I think for me, I was raised um, by parents. My father born in Harlem in 1926, my mother in Bed-Stuy, mm -hmm. Brooklyn in 1930, and two people whose lives were committed to the civil rights movement, right? Who worked very mm -hmm. deeply um, through their lives um, for civil rights and equality. So I was raised to believe the vote is the foundation of our democracy mm -hmm. and that people died for us black people to have the vote. So I believe in a just a very elemental way, voting is important. But I also believe that in voting being essential, that we also understand it at all levels. In this moment, of course, we are talking about a national election, which is critical. But I also hope that in communities like ours, Marcus and Harlem, that people understand what voting at the local level means, right? How much mm. our local representatives in the city council, you know, our citywide representatives, our mayor, then at the statewide, our assembly people, our governor, but even at the level of school board, how these, mm. all of these roles are important to the functioning of our community and our voices and our representation are important. So I really encourage that while we often talk about voting at this national level and that's at the point at which it gets energized, that people realize that those ballots are electing judges, they're electing school board members, they're electing the controller of New York City or state mm. representatives, and that all impacts us. So it is very important not just to vote, but to be civically engaged. Yeah, and I, I can just echo that and say that for my dad, I know that him having come up during the civil rights movement in you know the late 50s and definitely in the 60s, he's seen the the bloodshed, the the uh, resilience and courage that it took to get the Voting Rights Act through in 1965. I don't think there has been election in an election that he hasn't voted in. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, the, um, the American voting system is so complex that if you're an American citizen living abroad as we are, uh, your ballots don't always get counted. So it depends on how close an election is for them to count the ballots and such. But we still always vote because it's, you know, it's important that, to feel that we've done our duty. And, and especially since we're Americans, we're not in America you know, that's the least we can show up for mm. every four years. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. One thing that you also have in common, I remember actually Jason's father told me this once before. Um, he went to Korea and when he was supposed to get his pension for serving, they cut it one week before. Yeah, he, he got a, 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 a dishonorable discharge. Well, the way my dad tells it and, and, you know, some of his friends that he was in the army with was that they would get into trouble on on base a lot because they weren't used to, he said, us Northern brothers weren't used to uh, officers. And, you know, as my dad puts it, rednecks calling us, uh, you know, the N word here and there. And we were just weren't used to taking it, you know, and, and, you know, the brothers from the South would tell us to, you know, to, to hang back, to chill out a bit. But so they would get thrown in the stockade a lot. And I think my dad just did uh, one time too many and, uh, Mm-hmm. Uh, got a dishonorable discharge and it was that that was very he has since worked i think it took him about a good 25 years to get it changed to a less than honorable but mm-hmm. if you get a dishonorable which one of his friends earl who sells mm-hmm. uh, uh you know who sells perfumes up on 135th and lennox yes. it's really difficult it could be difficult for you to get an apartment to uh, um, to get employment and and so forth, and he's also worked hard on getting his discharge changed, but hasn't succeeded because it costs a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Your father Thelma was in the war too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, my father served in the army in the Korean War. Mm. He then served in the Army Reserves um, mm. when he got out of the army for many years. You know, he grew up 
in Harlem, was, you know, educated in public schools in Harlem, went to City mm-hmm. College before joining the Army, but then was able to finish his education at Howard and then um, his graduate work at NYU. But, you know, I think both of our fathers and probably our older relatives generally all experienced this country at its best and at its worst, right? Mm-hmm. And I think mm-hmm. that yeah. that's what we carry, right? And that's why... Mm-hmm. In so many ways, I feel personally, my responsibility to the present is so informed by the past and by the Mm -hmm. ways in which, whether it would be the triumph of my father's parents getting here to this country from Jamaica, starting lives here in Harlem, you know, in an apartment on 135th and 8th. 8th Avenue, 300 West, 135th Street, you know, for my father Mm -hmm. then to go on and have the life he had, Mm -hmm. which then made my life possible, but also to the ways in which they lived through so much of the history that we now understand. But in some cases, we continue to live in the present. So I think it's why it's so important for us to understand not only the kind of personal family histories, right? To have these stories, for you to know your father's story, for me to know my father's story, for me to know my mother's story, right? And understand the lives Mm -hmm. of Black women, you know, in this country in those years. To be able to not simply just appreciate the lives we have now, but to understand our commitment to continue fighting to create Mm -hmm. more possibility, more opportunity for those Mm -hmm. who come after us. That's what I got. Absolutely. You know, my father certainly looked at his life and understood it through the complexities of race and racism in this country. But he also instilled a great sense of uh, possibility. And he held with him even the ways in which he could see that personally. The fact that I am the director mm-hmm. of the Studio Museum in Harlem in a building that was the bank where he banked when he mm-hmm. started his business in Harlem, in an office that was on the corner of 125th and 7th, where the Verizon store is now, is where my father's Mm -hmm. office was. And he would Mm -hmm. walk and bank in what were our galleries. And so that he could come in that Mm -hmm. building as a museum. The fact that he had many precious meals at the Red Rooster, but could Mm -hmm. regale Marcus with years of time spent in the original (laughs) Red Rooster, Right. He always prefaced yeah. was before he married my mother. But yet could yes. recall, <laughs> could recall yeah. whole evening names uh-huh. of, you know, waitresses there, different uh, friends, you know, yeah. his friends, you know, his boys who grew up in Harlem who aren't alive. But, you know, who would meet there on Friday on payday could, you know, tell Marcus about the mm. boiled eggs and the sandwiches behind the bar, yes. the tab. Mm. That people I mean, would resolve for each other, you know, when someone <laughs> lost a job and yeah. all how he was so yeah. proud mm-hmm. to be able to have Marcus resurrect that history that in his 80s, mm. right, would bring back for him mm-hmm. these moments from his life as a young man, right, in Harlem, mm-hmm. you know, is also what I think we all carry, right? The sort of storytelling mm-hmm. that's in us is not, not just our own stories, but the stories that we have to share of those who came before us. And that it, it just makes hearing you speak just makes me think of that paradox that I see so often in my dad of that, that love for America, right? As a black person, that love for the United States, that, you know, for the culture and for the people and for the life, you know, and at the same time, the United States being the culprit of so many generations of oppression. I mean, 
handed down through stories, but also experienced, mm-hmm. right? And it's, I would dare to say that that's one of the kind of uh, friction points that manages to spark so much creativity and well, culture. It, it's what so much of our art is about, right? Is art created mm. Mm. out of this history, out of these experiences. Mm. But, you know, the reason why for me in particular, Black art is so significant is because it was always from the beginning a way in which to exhibit our humanity, right? That, that our mm-hmm. music, our song, our dance, our visual art, our literature, our words, our oratory, all were away in the face of so much that was created to disallow us to have humanity and rights, that the arts are the way in which those have been exhibited and how we can look back and understand these experiences come through our artists. Mm. I think, guys, it's, it's, I have a couple of thoughts on this. First of all, I think one of the core issues that you don't hear a lot of conversation about, but it, I feel it is, is that it's how we view the good old days, right? right? For black people, there are very few good old days. We never look back and say those were the days because they were incredible things, but we didn't have freedom, right? So the way culturally, racially, how we identify with the good old days is very, very different. And then I also see a glimmer of hope because anytime you look back in black history, there was pain, but out of that pain came incredible stuff that we still trade off. As a chef, we still trade off in American food what the slaves brought, enslaved people brought to this country right? These are still recipes that we're trying to cook at the Red Rooster, right? And I'm trying to interpretate that. I always think about people talk about, you know, we don't have to guess if Ronald Reagan was a racist. This is a fact because there's also documentation about we called, who he called monkeys, where he started his journey in Philadelphia in the South of starting his presidential uh, journey, right? So there's not a guess, right? But out of that time came Prince. It was AIDS. It was crack. But out of that came the most significant work, like Sign of the Times um, by Prince, Rakim. You go back in the 60s, everything that we go back from, the most difficult time, came to James Brown that we still is a pillar of hip-hop, right? So mm. this is why America, and particularly African-American culture, is so incredible, layered, and paradox because it's the most challenged history but it's also the most incredible history. So with that, I feel a little bit hopeful that mm. COVID, this moment, if we think about it from that lens, we might be an advantage because we've mm. been through rough times before. I know it's very dreamy, mm. but uh, I'm just putting that out there. Well, Marcus, I mean, when we spoke to, uh, when we spoke to our friends in Mozambique and South Africa, mm-hmm. they, you know, they both echoed, and this was in April, you know, they both echoed what you're saying that, mm-hmm. you know, uh, speaking to my boy in Mozambique, he's like, well, you know, we already have Ebola, we have malaria, we have mm-hmm. dengue fever, you know, this is just another disease, but we're, you know, we're, we're used to living and thinking on our feet, as he said, you know, mm-hmm. um, we're used to living in a world where we can't always take tomorrow or next week or next month for granted and having to 
plan for that. Um, so mm-hmm. we've dealt with crises before. We'll deal with this one too. He wasn't as shook, was my mm-hmm. impression. Mm-hmm. And I think, Marcus, to your point, what I think about that is that while, yes, there's always this sort of conflict to the uh, experience in the world, but that's what has made it so that Black people have always created Black spaces. And it's in Black spaces mm-hmm. that these memories are in, right? And those Black spaces mm-hmm. begin with our homes, right? So the way in which we could reconcile the worlds that we created for ourselves and the world outside of it. But they also are in all of our social structures. They were created, these spaces, in our restaurants and social clubs, but in churches, in schools, mm. in our historically Black institutions. That's what creating those spaces meant for us. It meant places where we could engage with each other at a level that created for us autonomy, right? And allowed our authority, Mm. allowed our humanity to be at one Mm. with ourselves and each other. And I think that this moment in terms of artists, that yes, we've had all of these moments in history where they are complex, sad, grief, trauma-filled moments that often have created um, great art, great evidence, not just of the moment, but great art that comes out of it. I think in this moment, you know, and perhaps it's just where I am in my life um, now, I want to make sure that while we know that will happen, that we also are creating some structures of protection for the artists themselves, right? That, that when we Mm. sit here, for example, in Harlem, and we understand how many artists, musicians, visual artists, writers, poets are without healthcare, that we want to make sure as we live in this pandemic, you know, that our creative voices Mm. are supported. When we understand what the economic reality has been, right? For many musicians, Mm -hmm. actors, you know, singers, artists, writers in this moment, that we are creating new structures, which really value these voices in a way that create durable modes of support so that in these bad times that, yes, they can be as creative as we hope they will be, but they can do so with support. I see, you know, painters from of African descent, not only from the United States, but from from England, Nigeria, Ghana, uh, different parts of uh, uh, the continent of Africa actually gaining a lot of traction in the kind of international art world now. And, and their artworks are being appreciated and commanding high prices. Can you talk a little bit about that, Thelma? Yeah, you know, I think that is an evidence of work that's been going on for many years, right? To, hmm. to really say that we understand the value, the aesthetic value, the cultural value, you know, of the work of artists of African descent. I mean, this has been the work of the Studio Museum since our founding in 1969, hmm. you know, hmm. at a point when museums did not consider the work of Black artists and artists of African descent equal, right, and excluded it. The museum was founded to not only present and preserve this work, but to show the breadth and depth and ultimately to reinvent the canon, to include these voices and show how powerful and important they are historically, but also in the present moment to allow a platform for these voices to be in the world. So we stand deeply in solidarity with all the different um, 
spaces around the world that have taken their mission also and moved it towards this kind of presentation. And yes, we see now the mainstream art world, right? Paying mm -hmm. attention and offering these mm -hmm. artists the opportunity that their work deserves. I want to um, end or continue the conversation on one note. I think something that was started with Michelle Obama in a way and someone that you know, know very well and would do a lot of work for the administration. It was this identity around black women and power and on the world stage. And as you move forward now to Stacey Abraham in America, it's becoming much, much more of a wave and people are aware of Stacey Abraham, all the work that she's done. And then Black Lives Matter movement founded and created by three black women that has created a world a movement. And then, of course, with Kamala Harris, uh, the world, not just America, learn about blackness in a different way. That someone can be both Asian American, African American, and Caribbean American, right? Mm. Something that obviously it, it, it explains to the world how layered and compli complex blackness is, uh, but it also speaks of power. Uh, when you saw that Kamala got the VP nod, uh, what was was what was your hope? What's your fear? What's your what would be what's your thoughts? Well, you know, my my hope was a manifestation of long what has been my hope, and that is that she represented not only in the full sum of her own career and her achievements, but she was representative of the achievements of Black women and mm -hmm. their role in this democracy from its founding. And I think that, you know, again, we talk about these cultural shifts. This is not just a symbolic shift, right? You know, mm -hmm. her, her place on that VP ticket is not just symbolic. It is a real manifestation of generations of Black women who have held up our movements, held up our communities, you know, and have been so critical to these structures, but with not always with the acknowledgement or the opportunity to allow their voices to live in full view. And Thelma, just before we go, uh, tell us a little bit about the future for you, for the Studio Museum and the immediate. I mean, obviously you're in an interim position right now with no physical home, but a new beautiful one coming up. I think it's amazing that David A.J. is 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 creating that space for you. Um mm -hmm. That's really, it really honors the art that will be hanging in there. Um, it does. So how do you see these next, uh, these next six months for, for or, or this next year moving into next summer? Yeah. So, you know, it's true. This is such an important moment for the museum. But it's also been mm -hmm. an interesting moment of reflection, one that we didn't imagine we would have coming off the heels of our 50th anniversary to be in a cultural and social and political moment that is so similar to the one when the museum was founded in 1969 mm, has yes. really allowed us in this moment as we build a new building to not only go back to the past and imagine the energy, the passion, the politics that inform this group of people to say, we are going to build a museum in harmony, devoted to the black mm. artists. But it's allowing us to sit in this moment and imagine a future for the museum 50 years exactly. from now. 
Mm. Um, we closed the museum building two years ago to start this project. So because of that, we had already been working out in the world. We didn't have a physical building, but we were working to continue the work of the museum by creating site-specific installations in the Harlem parks, working with Harlem schools and senior centers, bringing works from our collection reproductions and hanging them in those spaces and allowing that to create um, engagement with the museum art and artists. We'd begun doing programs with our museum peers all around the city. Um, and we have a significant partnership with the Museum of Modern Art, where we create an exhibition there each year on 53rd Street. The next one is opening at the end of November, a project with the artist and filmmaker Garrett Bradley. We're presenting her multi-channel video installation titled America, a project determined a year ago, but feels prescient. Mm, very opening mm, it mm. in November right now. We also have continued our artists in residence program, which is at the heart of the Studio Museum, and present the exhibition of those artists each year at MoMA PS1. We also have been doing lots of collaborations with our Harlem neighbors, so working very deeply mm -hmm. with our peers and amplifying um, the different work that our peers are doing. And of course, we've begun lots of programming in digital space. Um, and so, that's what the museum's doing in these six months, but we're also doing the deep work of this reimagining towards a future, a future that will be deeply informed by all that we've experienced and have come to know in this year. But it's also been a moment um, that, of course, just as it was in the late 60s, where we're deep in the work of defining this notion of black space, what it means to create from the culture of the culture what the idea of black space is and can be. And that is not just about the physical space of the museum. It is about this important intellectual space, yeah. which I say for us is really almost a spiritual calling at the studio museum. But in this moment, we feel we have to be a real place to hold, make a container for those ideas as we all travel through this moment of reckoning and reimagining. Dalma, we thank you. I personally thank you for all the guidance that you've always given me in Harlem and, and allowing and pointing Red Rooster and myself constantly in the right direction. When we're out here, Thelma always brings us in. And when I <laughs> talk about Black excellence, what inspires me, Thelma, you are it, and the Studio Museum is it, that we thank you for mm. everything. And Jason, I'll let you finish the round with this, but uh, this has been an incredible moment for us, and we thank you, Thelma. Well, I want to thank both of you for this opportunity to talk to you about all of these ideas. Marcus, I want to thank you. As I've said many times, you know, having grown up, you know, Jason, you might have this experience when you grow up with someone um, who was born and raised in Harlem and loves Harlem, so much of it is just in you, right? You don't see it as something separate from you. And Marcus, it's through your eyes and your love of Harlem that I was able in such a profound way in those last years of my father's life to allow him to think back to the Harlem he loved, right? Mm -hmm. You'd ask me a question and I would then say it to him and that would just open the floodgates 
right? Mm-hmm. Of, of memory of his lived experience. And that was such a gift to me, right? As a curator, a thinker, an intellectual, I'd never asked him those questions before mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. never asked them in the way you would ask them. So that, mm-hmm. that opened up so much. So I am so grateful for that. Now, when you say in four years, you've given us a vision for the world and that's beautiful. But what I see mm-hmm. is not just the new studio museum open, but I see a space somewhere else in Harlem where our residents might have studios, where your chefs are mm-hmm. also in residence. Yeah. There's a huge, beautiful, <laughs> right, chef's kitchen. Mm-hmm. There's also a recording studio there so that we have musicians mm-hmm. <laughs> who will come through. There'll be a soundproof room where some writers and poets can be in the space and write. And what I see is not that we will talk about whether it's another Harlem Renaissance. We will keep the spirit of the Harlem Renaissance happening in Harlem every day, right? That that mm. will be the life of Harlem, right? This kind of creative engine where all of these creative individuals will be at the heart of our community and remain such an important part of the work that we do and that we've done together. Always carry in your minds, Marcus, you know this because you travel across the Atlantic, which of course I'm sure you do also, Thelma, at least back when, before we had a pandemic, but the culture that that emanates from Harlem also resonates across the diaspora, that is across the world and not, and beyond the diaspora too, inspiring and uplifting and being a beacon of both hope and creativity and ideas. And that's for more than 100 years that that has come from the neighborhoods and the community that you both are in right now. So I thank you, Thelma, for coming on. Marcus, always an honor to to do this with you. Thanks. And uh, great. be safe, be well, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hey folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF podcast. And this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues 
your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. 